Greetings and Happy New Year. Greg Bashansky here opening this show with a note from the co-host. This show features two segments, the news, which we recorded in 2023, and a panel discussion we recorded at the end of 2022. Between the two segments, we've moved over from Skype to Zoom and upgraded our equipment. All of this is made possible by you, of course, our listeners. We thank you for your support. Without you, there is no show. And if you want to keep showing your support, join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Network. We're looking forward to 2023. More episode discussions, comic book news, merchandise reveals, and more as the show continues to grow. Onward and upwards. The story is told, though who can say if it be true, of a clan of medieval warriors awoken in modern-day Manhattan, of the animated series that told their story. It is an age of darkness, superstition and the sword rule. It is an age of fear. It is the age of gargoyles. Welcome to Voices from the Eerie. A Gargoyles Podcast. This is Nightwatch, reporting from New York, Travis Marshall. Tonight, more on the news that has rocked Manhattan, if not the world. And welcome to another news section, Gargoyles fans. I'm here with Greg Wiseman and Jennifer L. Anderson. We're attaching this to our uh, to another show that we had previously recorded. So you're going to hear things a little bit out of, out of sync, but we're going to be Discussing the news, some recent reveals, and by now you should have your copies of issue two of Gargoyles, which we loved, and we'll talk about that momentarily. First, let's talk about NECA. During their 12 Days of Christmas reveals, they presented a checklist of a bunch of figures that they had already released, and some teases at some stuff that is coming. Some stuff I'm a little bit less excited about, like the Sega Genesis repainted Goliath. Jen, what did you think of that one? I, I was not impressed with the repaints. Uh, they're definitely not on my to-get list. Um, I get that that's variants are cool and people like them, but um, but they just weren't grabbing me. They're just too kind of bland. I hear that. I'm not a big fan of the repaint itself. I get what they're going for. They do this with a lot of their lines. I mean, you should see their 8-bit Nintendo color Jason Voorhees figure. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I'm sure some people will eat it up. Yeah, the one thing that might make me interested in that, although I'd have to think about the purchases, this wouldn't be worth the money. So it came with a little Sega Genesis version, Eye of Odin, which Greg has said in the past looks more Nordic than the one from the show. But it's a really cool graphic, definitely. But buying the whole figure just to get that, I, I don't think... I mean, yeah. and then, you know, and we got like, we got to see some of the, the box covers for some of the other figures. And um, that was kind of cool. Yeah. So Hudson is now out widely. People are finding them all over the place and uh, Brooklyn should be next followed by Broadway. After that, it looks like Angela and Xanatos. I don't know which order, but they were the ones whose uh, box art we saw. And, and as of this recording, just cutting in from editing. The NECA 
Steel Clan Robot is now up for pre-order on various sites like Big Bad Toy Store, Entertainment Earth, among others. So I guess we don't know which order these things are coming out in or when. Only NECA knows. But hey, NECA, keep them coming. What got me, though, was on Xantos' box, or you, they seem to be using it to hint at future figures, some which haven't been announced yet. We saw Lisa and Macbeth on that box, and Lisa, we all agree, is long overdue for a more full reveal. But what really caught my eye was Jason Canmore and his hunter gear. I, I just want you to know that if Jason Canmore comes out before Elisa, I'm flipping a table. But here, like, here's the thing. Like, I love Jason Canmore. Come on. He's like everything. Like, I love him. But if he comes out before Elisa does, <laughs> I'm going to be upset. <laughs> I agree with you. Honestly, the only human character I think you could justify bringing up before Elisa is Xanatos. Yeah. Which I think they will do. Yeah. Both him and the armored version, I'm looking forward to both. But it was really cool to see that, and I did like what we saw of Broadway's box art, where he's clearly gliding over the street of Broadway, and there's a theater sign for coming soon, Macbeth. <laughs> it, that was, it was it was whoever's doing the art. Um, it's really clever. It's really good. It looks good. Um, I love that Xanatos was playing chess with the gargoyle pieces. Um, that's also very clever and cute. So I am, I'm looking forward to the next figure that comes out, but I'm not, it, but not just, just not the repaints. Same. And that's actually one of the things I'm wondering about. And what, and I, a question I would ask them if I ever had the chance, the Thalog figure did not move as well as the other figures did. And I hope that doesn't jeopardize us eventually getting an armored Thalog, which I think they should have done first, but that's just my opinion. Is Thalog out? He's been out for a very long time. Yeah, I don't have Going to any Target or Walmart, you might see him. Hanging out at Target. (laughs) All right. Well, that's the action figure news. And NECA, we love love what you're doing. Don't take our little gripes as us being negative. But we're longtime fans. We This is our dream line. When you do what we love, we're going to tell you. If you do something we love a little bit less, we're going to tell you. And on that note, it's time to uh, move on to issue two of Gargoyles, which right now you should all have in your hands, which we did love. Absolutely. um, They have to say that because I'm here. (laughs) (laughs) No, there's a lot of content in the second issue. I thought the story has a lot more meat to it than issue one. And I understand why issue one was the way it, it was. And from the most part, most of the reactions people seem to also, but the people who weren't as keen on it, I think they're going to like this one even better. And um, it was cool to see to get reintroduced to more of the characters. In this case, um, seeing Bronx and Food Dog again, which I'm sure thrilled Nate. <laughs> seeing uh, Xanatos again on the last page, last two pages, I was really happy to see him. And um, one of the things I always felt about the SLG run, and I understand why it happened, I always thought Angela and Broadway kind of got the short end of the stick in those 12 issues, so it was nice to have this issue narrated from Angela's point of view. I I, I love it, too. Um, no, I, I absolutely love the, uh, the point of view from Angela. Plus, we're kind of getting a little bit more... Uh, 
I love how she's talking about dreaming gargoyles dream and stuff like, so we're getting a little bit more of that in there. And um, uh, just her inner monologue was, uh, was very sweet. Uh, even when, you know, uh, just talking about everything from Demona to Broadway. And I, I liked it. It's kind of funny. We're talking about this today because in essay, there was a bit of a uh, discussion going on over Angela, her characterization on the show and whether, and how compared to the characterization of other characters and on a personal level, I always thought that it was just as strong as anyone else's. She just has a more subtle character arc across the series than most. Whereas, you know, the trio, when they show up, we I mean, we love them right away, but they show up almost immediately as cliches before they get fleshed out into more three-dimensional characters pretty quickly. She doesn't. She's more naive, innocent. She came from paradise and, so by the time she gets to New York, yeah, she's going to yell at the trio for objectifying her, which we'll talk about eventually when we get to turf. But <laughs> this all seemed in line with that. And it's nice to see, to really get into her head. And I hope to see more of her. And I'm sure we will get more into her head, especially with the next big Demona story. Soon. You know who I'm really kind of loving that uh, is Cold Fire. Yes. I'm really just enjoying Cold Fire. <laughs> By the way, I'm really enjoying writing Cold Fire. <laughs> <laughs> Me too, especially after the first issue where, let's be honest, she meant well and she tried, but she's not very good at the whole crime fighting thing in the modern world with built-in flamethrowers. Well, I mean, I don't think I would be could be trusted with built-in flamethrowers either, quite honestly. <laughs> Neither could I. Neither could I. <laughs> But yeah, I'm really I'm I'm loving her, uh, and I'm also loving uh, the midwife. Oh, I love the midwife. Should we? Uh, Mary. Talk? Mary was her name. Yes, yes, we all remember Mary, Tom's mother. That was really nice to see her again. That was yeah. the biggest surprise of the issue, the yeah. biggest surprise. And I suppose technically, when these are all on the shelf, she was only <laughs> two issues ago, but still. <laughs> Yeah, no, I love, I loved, I loved her. She was, she was just great and sassy, and uh, as we kind of expected. But, um, but God, God, she kind of shut up when Thalog put his hand on her. <laughs> well, we'll see next issue. We'll see next issue. Kind of cut away for all we know. <laughs> yeah, um, she might be mouthing off to him. Uh, again, the art is gorgeous. I'm just like like thumbing through it right now just checking it out again and it's it's i love the style i love kind of the the painterly strokes of it too and uh the highlights so beautiful and we finally have a new canon character our first of the run last time in slg the first new canon character was sherry this time it's uh antoinette don't call her tony dracon and um i talk about this more in the Later show this attached to it's nice to see the Dracon family fleshed out. I mean, this is they're getting more and more interesting in the comic, and I really appreciate that. Greg, you've never even hinted at her and asked Greg or at conventions over the years. How long has she been in your in your head? Um, well, no one ever asked me about her, but so that helped to not hint about her. Um, she's not the only new character, she's actually one of two in this issue, but um 
she's been in my head for as long as I've had the here in Manhattan storyline, um, at least. So I'm trying to think back here in Manhattan was going to be the next arc, uh, after clan building. If, uh, the SLG run had continued, I'm not saying that what we've got here is exactly the same as what it would have been. What was it now? 10 years ago, 12 years ago. I can't Dang. remember, but, um, because, you know, I never actually wrote it then, so I didn't have to sit down and solve all the problems and figure everything out. But I had the basic story idea for here in Manhattan um, while I was doing the at least the tail end of the clan building arc uh, for the SLG books. Um, and then, of course, we got canceled, so uh, um, it never happened. But, uh, again, the basics of it, had in mind for at least a decade and i can't remember if i came up with antoinette then or if she already existed in my head building i i just i don't know i mean i can't quite place when she first sort of poofed into existence but uh it's been at least that long so she's um i'm really enjoying her she's a lot of fun um, for me, she's a slow burn character and I like slow burn characters. Um, but yeah, she's only one of two new characters in the, in the, the book. You have to look a little harder to find the second one. But... I didn't even notice yeah. the second one. So I'm definitely going to take another look, but, um, and speaking of slow burn characters, although this one is very unintentional, over a decade ago, 2009, so close to 14 years ago now, Jesus, we uh, first see Katana, first meet her, issue one, we get our first couple lines of dialogue. I feel like now we're really getting characterization, especially with her reaction to the name Eduardo when Broadway <laughs> asked about it. And Brooklyn gets in trouble. <laughs> 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 yeah that was fun uh you know uh I, I actually wouldn't necessarily call katana a slow burden character it's just been the nature of uh her introduction and the fact that you know no one's ordered a time dancer spinoff yet but uh um so she's sort of become a slow burn character by default um but that wasn't like the plan with her whereas that was the plan with antoinette um but uh, in essence, you know, um, because the focus uh, for obvious reasons for the here in Manhattan arc is in Manhattan, we're not getting big flashbacks right now to feudal Japan or anything like that and how she was initially supposed to be introduced. Um, but, you know, I've got, I think, a pretty clear uh, lock on her personality in my head um and of her voice so and of course you know it's about to some extent the interaction between husband and wife here between mates you know between brooklyn and her and their dynamic i also think i've got pretty clear and you know relatively speaking brooklyn is a goofball <laughs> um you know he's fun he, he's a he still buckler. looks like all badass with his eye his eye patch and everything but he's a goofball right exactly so you know he he is 
uh, older and yeah, he's more of a badass and, and he's a dad and, and all this sort of stuff, but he's still Brooklyn, you know, he's still this would be swashbuckler guy who, um, thinks he's incredibly clever and does clever things that maybe aren't so much clever as, as, as goofball. And, um, so that, uh, one line where she says it's a joke name, isn't it? Um, is a line I've had in my head to do for it at least a decade. I mean, literally that line of dialogue has been waiting for a decade. <laughs> um, uh, you know, this idea that he comes up with this name, which, you know, from her standpoint is meaningless. So she just assumes it's, so, you know, some kind of significance to him. And, and, uh, and then she, Broadway gives her just enough information and his reaction is, is backpedaling enough. And she knows him at this point well enough to know, okay, it's a joke day, isn't it? <laughs> like, um, I, I love he's like, I just whoa, love... I'm out of it. And she's like, no, you're not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. And I just, I really want to credit George here because that look on her face when she says it's a joke name and Brooklyn's <laughs> sort of, oh, I'm in for it now. Look, <laughs> are just perfect. And George really captured that. And, you know, obviously all I say in the script is, you know, some little bit of description, but it's on George to do all the hard work of making sure that the expression really carries um, the humor, you know, of the line. Um if this were animation, I'd have an actor, you know, doing the reading of it and you'd get it without a doubt. You know, I wouldn't worry about it. Even if the animation was just okay, I'd be like, well, the actor's going to carry this. But here it's all on George because, you know, there are a hundred ways to read the actual words of that line. And some of them wouldn't be funny at all, but <laughs> George gave it to us. So it's really credit to him. And I love it. And as someone who, and I just went back to look at the dates and ask Greg, you first told us about Katana, or at least identified her by name back in mid to late 1997. So, wow, really? She's a character of people. Damn. Yeah. Long term fans like us have been waiting for her for a very long time. And the payoff is worth it so far. She's really fun. We're, I'm really enjoying her. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, for me, all of this, all of it, top to bottom, whether it's Antoinette or Katana or Cold Fire, it's just, you know, it's a dream come true for me to be writing these characters again. And um, whether, and, you know, they've all been living in my head for so long that whether you guys have seen them before or not, I've been, they've been talking to me for a long, long time. So <laughs> it's just great to let them play out here. Uh, and, uh, you know what I'm hoping the the readers get. Well, it's two different. It is two challenges, but I I'm trying to ignore this to some extent, which is that you know you've got the challenge of new readers who are not familiar with the property or whose familiarity is not as, um, shall we say, in depth as you two. Um, and then you've got the hardcore fans like you two who who've been with me since day one basically and and i i want to please both but um what i'm hoping is is that you know the big issue whether 
in this book, just as it was back in the day when we were making the show is real estate. You know, there's only so much, there was only in the days of the show, so much screen time, you know, and now there's only so many pages and there's only so many panels you can fit on a page and have it play out. You know, it's okay to have a, a, you know, a page or two that have a ton of panels on them, but if they're all like that in order to stuff more material in, you know, you wind up with a book that's just no fun to read. There's no scope to it. Yeah. yeah, You know, you want to be able to mix it up. And so so I've got, you know, four panel pages. I've got single panel pages and I've got, you know, eight panel pages too. And I've got some double page spreads in here and that kind of thing. It's about creating um, the best possible product we can with the real estate we've got to work with, if that makes sense. And so what I that also means is that even in terms of dialogue, uh, captions, what what you will, a, any of the sort of written word on the page, I've got limited real estate. And so my goal with all these characters, again, whether you're they're very familiar to you or new to you, um, and obviously Antoinette, for example, is new to literally everybody, but um, uh, someone like uh Angela is new to some people and not new to others you know um is uh that in that limited amount of real estate that the dialogue lines that I'm choosing for them give you that uh feel for their characters and their individuality and um you know uh, that's one of my main jobs on this is to just feel like uh, given the limited space um, that I'm hitting those moments with each of them, with every line of dialogue um, mattering because there, because the space is so limited, you know, if I had unlimited page count, life would be easy. I'm not saying it would be a better read, but it would make my job easier. You know? um, <laughs> I just, you know, I, I'd, uh, I, I wouldn't have to nurse everything quite so much because it wouldn't, every line wouldn't matter as much, but because of the limited real estate, it forces me to really be specific. And that's probably a good thing. Um, if not, almost definitely a good thing. It just, uh, it definitely makes it more challenging. Um, and, uh, hopefully, you know, it's working. Um, you know, you get Angela's enthusiasm to see the new baby. Um, you get her sense of, um, wonder over her relationship with Broadway. You get her, um, uh, very mixed feelings about her mother. Um, you get um, her own sort of uh, strength there. And I'm just using Angela as an example because she's the point of view character of this issue, but that is in essence true, or at least I'm trying to make it true for literally every character that appears in this issue um, because, you know, Xanatos is only going to get what, two lines of dialogue? in the whole issue, I better make those two lines count, right? You know? Um, well, they ooh, those two lines, like, oozed Xanatos, though. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, you know, 
And always so he, good to see you. Like you just busted in my door and it's just like, well, come on in. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> you know, and it's really, it's very easy with Xanatos because you can hear Jonathan Frakes in your head really easily. It's a little tougher. Um, with with a new character, even though I uh, and we've talked about this before, I uh, whether or not I reveal who that person is, I mentally cast everybody so that I've got a voice in my head. Um, oh, I'm casting people too. <laughs> yeah, I mean too. Um, but the point is, is that you know, if it's a new character, it's a little harder, right? Because I I'm sort of guessing at how actor a would interpret character B, you know? Um, and, and I think I've got it. I, I, I think I've got it locked in again. It's easier for someone like Katana, uh, actually than, uh, than some others, but, uh, but, you know, with Goliath, with Xanatos, with Elisa, with Angela, I, I've just got those voices locked in. I, you know, um, I'm not saying that if we actually recorded this, Jonathan or Keith or Brigitte, might not surprise me with something fantastic. I'm a hundred percent sure they would, but it would still be them. You know, I, they're not going to give me something that suddenly sounds like a different actor is reading the line, you know? Um, and so it's, it's obviously easier, you know, to give Owen a line um, than it is to, to do the same thing with uh, say Antoinette, for example. But um, I've got a pretty good sense of even the newer characters in my head. And so hopefully I'm doing the job there too. Two more things. One, Antoinette, it wasn't lost on me that her correcting her grandfather over what she prefers to be called was in the issue that Angela is narrating. (laughs) Stop calling me Tony. (laughs) Right. And I have a question about Angela's outfit because it's, (laughs) In <laughs> this issue, it was pretty inconsistent. But if I'm honest, it was pretty inconsistent throughout the SLG run. She In SLG, she switched to this two-piece with the high collar. And even then, some of the artists never drew the high collar or um, would draw with the one-piece. But it feels like in issue one, she switched back to the one-piece. And then in issue two, in some panels, she's wearing the two-piece. And in some panels, she's wearing the one-piece. Uh, so... Here's the deal there. Just honesty. The reason I switched her to the two-piece in the SLG run is that I wanted, I thought it was chilling to switch her to the two-piece because it felt Demona-esque to me. And so the notion that she would switch to something that is more reminiscent of Demona, I thought would be a slightly chilling feel under the character. Um, this is something that um, the folks at Dynamite get. And unfortunately, though they've been great partners, otherwise uh, the folks at Disney do not like that two-piece costume for her. Um, they want a one-piece costume. They want her original costume. Um, and that's not a hill that I feel like dying on. Um, you know, in other words, uh, uh, it, we get notes, we talk, discuss those notes and, 
you know, I suppose someday might come a note where I'm like, I, I can't do that. I won't do that. Um, but that's not this. That's not it. You know, the fact that she goes back to her original outfit, I, I'm fine with. Um, the problem is, is that George drew this thing before the note came in. And, you know, there are deadlines. And so, you know, some of the panels we caught or there was time to fix and some we didn't catch. Um, either we missed them or we ran out of days of the week, you know. Um, so as we go forward, you'll more consistently see, uh, at least in the book, the covers are a whole different animal um, in essence because there the artists are sort of given I want to call it symbolic freedom you know uh, there's no shot of in the book of Bronx running with dogs chasing pigeons you know there's no uh, you know the the cover artists in essence and, and I'm all for this have, have been given the freedom to do a gargoyle cover art. that you want to do. Yeah, exactly. And and that's great. Uh, yeah. So I I wouldn't be surprised if some of the covers, her costume was a bit all over the map. Um, but I think as we go forward, you'll see more consistency in the book because George now knows to draw the one piece costume. But, um, but yeah, it, some of the... I mean, I hesitate to call it an error, but some of the inconsistency that you see here is due to that discussion process with Disney, who just decided that um, the two-piece costume oversexualizes Angela. And I understand that. I don't agree, but I understand it. And again, it's not something that I feel strongly enough to sort of say, no, we're not going to do that, you know, kind of uh thing um and uh and i don't think it uh really is a major effect on her character I, again the original purpose for switching the costume was to make you wonder what direction her head's going in vis-a-vis -vis her mother um and uh um, and it was a subtle little thing. I don't know if people caught it or not, but it, it, and I don't know if it had the effect that I wanted it to have. Like, uh, again, the effect was supposed to be chilling, not sexual. So I don't know what people, uh, it, how people react. It to made it. me uncomfortable and I was happy to see her back in the one, the one piece. <laughs> well, it made Disney uncomfortable and they're happy to see her back in the one. <laughs> well, I think we I think we thought it was uh, we were uncomfortable for different reasons though. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. Um so again, I I'm really okay with the switch back. Um but again, in the way things timed out, uh a little bit slipped under slipped past us in terms of making the corrections uh, in enough time. Or again, uh, it may be that we missed one or two. I can't quite remember. Um, from my point of view, this book is, I know the from the standpoint of our listeners, they're, they just got the book. And while we're recording this, they don't actually have it yet. <laughs> but from my point of view, it's been <laughs> done for quite some time. So I don't really remember when did we get word that we had to make that change? How 
much time George had to make those changes because, you know, George uh, on uh, these issues, pencils, you know, layouts, pencils, inks, colors. George is a one man band on this. And so, and, you know, and he's already moved on to issue three. By the time we get this note, he's got to go back and, and fix it. And, um, and I don't, again, I don't quite remember if, some of these panels where she's still in the two piece are things that we just missed, which is possible. We're humans, we're flawed, we make mistakes, or if it's just we ran out of time. Me, me and I'm, George ran out of time, but us as a production. Right. Um, and know, just looking at it, every, all of the ones where she's still in the two piece, her wings are caped. Um, so I think, uh, I mean, they got all the ones where it's wide open and here she is. They've got the outfit chain changed but it's the ones yeah. where her wings are caped are are the ones that uh yeah like, there may have been a decision there's really on only part. one that it's really really obvious like yeah i see it and yeah, i wouldn't I have even have noticed even made that he may have even made that choice to prioritize just okay let me just i don't have time to do them all i i, I don't want to speak for him right but right, it right. may be that he just sort of said, I do not have time to do all these fixes. So let me do the big ones where it's I mean, really that's obvious. That's a smart thing to do. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, I might have chosen to say, hey, can we just fix this starting in issue four, which is the next day? You know, like, okay, now she changed clothes. Um, but I don't own the character. And Disney said, no, fix it now. So <laughs> that's what we did, <laughs> or tried to. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I, I don't think it, they were like purposely yeah. left in. Um, but yeah, uh, again, George's art is amazing. There's so much movement in every frame. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just gorgeous. Uh, nothing yeah. seems stagnant. Everything is moving. Uh, it's it's beautiful. Indeed. And we'll definitely do a deep dive on this story when we get there chronologically, but I'm really enjoying the issue. I'm really enjoying the book so far, two issues in, and I expect that I will keep on saying that. But one more note that we got, I spoke to Nate because some people were getting concerned about delays in issue two being released. It was not production delays. So anyone who's listening here, it was not production. It was due to shipping lanes and the holidays. A lot of people took two weeks off, diamond printers, and it's a very busy time of year as well to get things in. So the issue was done on time. I'm assuming Greg would have more of a um, viewpoint on when things were done, but I'm I'm assuming everything is going off without a hitch for the most part. And I understand people are also getting flashbacks to the days of SLG, which I think is ridiculous for just a two-week delay and second to six months second issue and they're then. already like gloom and dooming <laughs> that uh, sounds like internet. fandom to me <laughs> yep i mean and and so nate shared that with me with its intent that the book is going to be a monthly book and count it being a monthly book it might not come out at the exact same time every month but we should get an issue each, each month. month yeah and greg well, do you yeah, want to add anything to that no, I mean, we're on schedule. I've written um, issue four. I've broken down five and six. Um, it, it We're all 
I mean, I've also written three, by the way. <laughs> I didn't want to say, <laughs> oh, I skipped three and I went right to four. Uh, no, I've written three and that's uh, the arts being done for three. I've written four. I've broken down five and six. Um, we're all good here. Uh, the book is monthly and I don't anticipate any problems with that. Um, whether it comes out on the first of the month or the 30th of the month, I don't know. Um, and that may differ from month to month, um, depending on, again, as you said, you know, uh, whatever crunch is going on at this printer or that, whatever. But uh, uh, I also know Nate got COVID over the break and that I'm sure didn't oh, help things. Um, he got the boobons. Right. So uh, uh, he seems to be better now, but um, obviously that was probably a bit of a setback in terms of things, but, um, well, but nice uh, and not to put this on a- him. It's just, uh, you know, I, I don't even know for all, I don't even know that I wouldn't think this is a problem at all. Mm-hmm. Um, we are just fine. George is incredibly quick. Um, given what he's producing here, it is stunning to me how fast he is. Um, and, uh, uh, so I think we're all good. And we have just some exciting covers also. I've seen covers all the way to issue four. Um, and uh, so if we beyond, so. I've seen the covers for issue four already when they were solicited. They're really fun also. And the book continues to sell from what I understand the issue two is one of the most reordered books of December, and issue one was the seventh best-selling book in all of December. It was only beaten by Spider-Man and Batman books. Right, and one of those books was with Spawn guest starring. So, um, uh, yeah, you know, I, I it was Dynamite's bestseller. Issue one was Dynamite's bestseller ever. <laughs> um, nice. And so wow. that's... Uh, you know no pressure exciting. or anything <laughs> yeah that's the thing with me it's like oh good uh, <laughs> it's a little scary it's a lot of pressure but uh but you know uh you know the fear of course was that the fall off for issue two would be so much that um that uh stores would go oh you know people wanted the first issue now they don't care anymore and that has not been the case i'm told uh we've got numbers that are very very respectable for issue two obviously they're not as good as issue one no one expected them to be but they are um tremendously respectable and one hopes that um you know people grabbing multiple covers aside that the story itself now will start um now that it's really starting to ramp up um, the story itself will start getting people to go. You got to be reading this, not just hey, you got to pick up this gorgeous cover from Amanda Connor or this one from uh, Jay Lee or whatever. You know, uh, you that it, that in addition to that, people will start saying you got to read this book. Um, that's my goal: is that people actually want to read the book, not just collect it. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> And hopefully, uh, you know, my nervousness did center around the fact that the first couple issues are still reintroducing or introducing characters and concepts um, that haven't been around for 
some people for a decade, some people for three decades, and um, other people have never seen them before. And I had a lot of ground to cover. But I'm hoping that issue two sees that this is starting to ramp up and that even more so with issue three. And for me, and I know I've said this before, the book really starts getting into gear with issue four. Um, I'm really happy with the script of four, which is not to say I was unhappy with the first three, but by four, I think we are really rolling forward and uh, we have some real momentum to the story by issue four. And um, so if we can get people reading the book, um, I'm hoping that, you know, maybe even the audience grows, Um, you know, all the, great covers aside, which I am grateful for. Don't get me wrong. I just want to, I want this to be a book that people want to read. This has been Nightwatch. Sleep well. Welcome to another episode of Voices from the Eerie, a Gargoyles podcast. I'm your co-host, Greg Bashansky. Joining me as usual is my co-host, Jennifer L. Anderson. Hello, everyone. And we're doing something a little bit different today. We're not going to be doing a deep dive into an episode, but we'll get to High Noon soon enough. Joining us are some old friends of ours, and we thought we would talk about Gargoyles, our time in the fandom, old and new, how things have changed. I'd like to introduce Gorbash, who runs Station 8, and is one of the reasons why there even is a fandom, and an Ask Greg. Hello, everybody. Christine Morgan, a very prominent fanfic author turned professional author a long time ago. That's me, Christine Morgan. Me. Of course. Christine Morgan. Wasn't it Merlin Missy who dubbed you that in 1997? Something like that, I don't know. And of course, Corinne Charlebois, who is a prominent and successful storyboard artist and who drew issue five of the SLG Gargoyles comic and five out of the six issues of Gargoyles Bad Guys. So we'll probably be talking to her down the line again also. Hi, everyone. And, of course, joining us as usual, the co-creator, supervising producer of the first two seasons of Gargoyles, the writer of the SLG and the new dynamic comic book, which sold over 180,000 copies, Mr. Greg uh, Wiseman. Hey! <laughs> I am happy to be here, among this crowd of people I love. Oh, We love you, Greg. All these we friendships are... that would not exist... Were it not for you. Exactly. And a team of a couple other people You're a big, back in the day. You're a big part <laughs> of that equation, too, Gore. Without Station 8, there'd be no Ask Greg, and who knows where we would be right now. Yeah, yeah somebody else would have put in something hell. up. In hell! <laughs> <laughs> With Mark Shepard. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, we're going to go around the line, um... Allow you each to, I introduced you, but if you want to introduce yourselves better than I did, because my brain clearly has checked out tonight. Gore, <laughs> tell our audience who doesn't know you a little bit about yourself. Uh, I go by the name Gorbash. I created and run Station 8, uh, s8.org, where way back in the day, through many different servers, uh, I started a little Gargoyles website, and uh, a couple of people started showing up and then a couple more and then soon wow there was a bunch of us we all started thinking about uh meeting together and then we out of that came a little convention that lasted for 
13. God, 13. 13 years. <sighs> and we all got to meet each other at all those conventions in person, not just sitting at a keyboard typing and talking to each other that way. And still to this day, I will never, I don't think I'll ever top it the day that uh, uh, <laughs> I got an email from somebody who said, uh, hey, you know, my brother would really like this little website of yours. He created the show. Here's his email address. And, you know, getting Greg to come in and So we all we owe all this to my sister Robin. Yes. Robin emailed me wow. and that's where it all began. No one tell her or I will never live again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I doubt she listens to this. <laughs> but but we're missing uh, Gore's top achievement in the fandom, which is no. <laughs> the Gore Elisa Award. Yeah. That was awarded at every convention. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> that was a heavy sigh. That was well, a heavy sigh. <laughs> the, the first convention at 97, uh, you had the masquerade, and you know I, that was easy. Go as Xanatos. I had the goatee. I had ponytail. Low effort, easy to do. Second year, it's like okay, I can't do Xanatos two years in a row. That's a little too lacy. I didn't know what I was going to do, but I had a red members only jacket, and I had many pairs of jeans. So I thought, well, maybe if I feel up for it, I'd do something interesting, and uh, sort of inspired by everybody there i decided all right let's do it and this was in new york went to a drugstore next door got the the black hair dye got some you know the, the cheapest bic throwaway razors possible go back into the hotel room shave dye my hair um oh we also found toy handcuffs and some balloons and did myself up as elisa maza uh uh amy did makeup so i looked really good <laughs> Well, it's the, as he, good he as was c- the prettiest. He was the prettiest, <laughs> you guys. <laughs> and uh, the reaction was a lot stronger than I had ever thought possible. And a lot of people seemed to like the the whole thing. And well, ever since Gore Elisa was born, it has been immortalized as the award for what is it? What was it? Best uh, gender bent, best dress. looking, yeah, masquerader ever. <laughs> best masquerader there there you go that's it yeah and that was uh that i still that pretty much just uh if i felt it on the day of i'd give it a go and everybody around me at the time just you know saying yeah this will be fun and i kind of like that i like how the it was born out of you know everybody just hanging out and supporting each other it was nice and then everybody's reaction was wonderful that was the cherry on top it was fantastic yeah, it's because you were pretty fantastic at doing it. So <laughs> yeah, like he was, it, it like the whole thing was like uh, in for a penny, in for a pound. Like he was not like if he was going to do it, he was going to do a hundred percent, and it was amazing. Yeah, you can't, you know, if you yeah, exactly. If you if you're going to do it, you might as well commit. So what the heck? Besides, everybody were we were all friends, right? So. It's not like those pictures are going to show up on Facebook 20-odd years later. <laughs> God. <laughs> Which were really great to watch they, when they showed up on Facebook 20 years later, because it was so many memories there. And I, 
I don't know why, but like those first couple of conventions, I didn't I didn't take a lot of pictures. I don't have a lot of uh, pictures from the gathering from those years, and that was really nice to see. Well, that was in the olden days when we actually had to like go get our <laughs> film developed. <laughs> yeah, that was the thing. The pictures I'm looking at the pictures, and they're clearly scans of photographs on paper, which is such a foreign concept now. It's, <laughs> and it yeah, only reinforces yeah. how old we are now. <laughs> There's a reason why I called the chat room before this the Gargoyles Old Farts channel. <laughs> that might still end up being the title of this podcast. We don't know yet. <laughs> All right. Christine, you want to introduce yourself to the listeners? Hello, listeners. I am Christine Morgan, and the reason I sound funny is because I had cancer in my face and had to have a lot of surgery and stuff, so this is as good as it gets. Um, Back in the day, I apparently ruined a whole lot of people's childhoods by writing dirty stories uh, about some of our favorite characters and probably give our friend Mr. Wiseman an eye twitch to this merry day. Uh, (laughs) I I, I admit nothing. (laughs) But yeah, um, over two million words worth of fan fiction. I counted it up. Uh, these these days, and then I still get emails from people who say, "Oh, I remember that from when I was a kid." And yeah, every every time it's like hearing another shovel full of dirt thump onto my skin. <laughs> but uh, these these days, I'm uh, still writing a lot of smut and really inappropriate stuff in the sub-genre of horror known as extreme horror and as splatterpunk, which is where all the real deviants wind up. Um, so, so you feel right at home? I'm, I'm the <laughs> Morgan there, too. <laughs> I, I, I even won an award. Thank you very much. Congratulations. <laughs> but no, you say you ruined a lot of childhood. So come on, it's not like you took a previously established white character and turned him into a black woman. They'd really hate you today for that. Oh, yeah, I know. In one of my books I was working on, there's a character who's a professional mermaid. Um, and she's, she's a black girl. And I had in the book that that was why she lost her job, because people were saying, oh, mermaids aren't black. And then... They had the new Little Mermaid casting, because I've been sitting there thinking, that's stupid, nobody's going to believe it. And then they go and cast a new Ariel, and everybody loses their minds. And it's like, oh, well, I guess we are still that stupid. We are, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's, that's me sitting here with my cats and in the house that used to be my grandparents, because I now take care of my mother full time. Nice. And Corinne, tell the listeners about yourself. Uh, I've been, uh, ever since I was, um, like, I saw the first ad for Gargoyles, I was just beginning university at the, at the time, 
the show really hit the right notes for me um, because I was into Dungeons and Dragons and other kinds of stuff like that. So that that show really hit the right notes for me. Became a big fan, got online on Station 8, uh, met a bunch of other artists, and my, my, my world was blown because I would draw all the time. And then I met people who also did this stuff, and that pushed me to work on my art and become a lot more serious about it and uh, eventually started working in the animation industry and I've been doing this for the last 26 years now. So I've been working in storyboards. Uh, currently, I'm a storyboard supervisor. Um, I've been an assistant director and I've also done, as you mentioned earlier, uh, some of the Gargoyles comics in the SLG run. So I was the artist for issue five and I did most of Gargoyles bad guys. Christopher Jones did one of the issues. Um, and yeah, I just, I still love Gargoyles to this day. It is, um, I mean, Gargoyles is more than just a show for me. It's all of you guys. I mean, the friendships we, we, we've had for such a long time uh, Jennifer was my maid of honor, you know, it's, <laughs> I, yeah. we, this is the, the family we chose. Exactly. And you guys are definitely family. That is fantastic. That is fantastic. I just love hearing all this. And I suppose the next question on the list was, when did he discover hey, Gargoyles? You know, yeah, wait, 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 wait. So I think that was great. All three of those intros, but it occurs to me that that Greg and Jennifer have never done something similar about. That's very you true. Know, I yeah, think, but they're I think you two on the podcast. I mean, I know the answers, but you know, our listeners don't really know how you connected up with the fandom in the first place. So I think you guys have to introduce yourselves too. I agree. Yes. I know that sounds dumb because you've been on for weeks and weeks and weeks, but. No, I don't think you've done that. Over a year now, actually. <laughs> but you're right about that. Um, let's see. I remember seeing the commercials and at the time, and I was wondering, they were very vague. Is this a video game? Is this a movie? They didn't show you the gargoyles at all. And, to, and they showed you, would show you a little bit more as the, as the premiere drew closer, and then one end day, you watch premiere, you finally see them. I thought it was very clever and very smart marketing, and I was intrigued, and um, I was hooked on the show, but um, it didn't really become a personal obsession until City of Stone. It went from being a great show to something transcendent for me. It was I talk about this at the end of City of Stone Part 4, but it was a revelation. I had no idea that something as simple as telling a story at the time could do that. I had never seen anything quite like that in Western animation before, or to be honest, really since. True, true. So, but how did you get involved with the get fandom? Get into the fandom. How did I get involved with the fandom? I'm, I was at a friend's house one day, and I didn't have internet in my house. I didn't have internet in my house until around the year 2000. That's how late it came. It was still dial-up. But I was, in 1997, I was at a friend's house, and he showed me this thing called America Online. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> Does anyone remember that? America Online? I had a chat room that Nick called City of Stone <laughs> on AOL. Nice. I, I, oh, wow. And I, rem 
remember Ch- and I remember at the time the Goliath Chronicles had just recently ended, and uh, I was not a fan of it. So anyone who says, "Oh, Greg, you didn't like it because Wiseman didn't work on it," no, no, that wasn't that. It was just disappointing. I didn't know about the t- turnover at the time, but I, he, but my friend showed me America Online and the internet, and I, we went through some websites, and I said, "Is there anything about gargoyles on here?" I'm just curious. And we found a few fan websites at the time. It, it was very interesting, a lot of information, and um, and so I would and I would go to his house on weekends. So the next weekend we looked again and again, and then one day we discovered the Station Eight comment room, and I decided to start posting my first comment ever. And this is so typical of a angry internet person at the time was about how bad I thought TGC was. Then. It turned into an actual conversation, and at the time, and I've learned better since then, you know, in those old days, a lot of people weren't giving out their real names. I just used the name Xanatos. So never use the name of a major character from the show that your fandom is. I've learned that since then. And then I eventually tried to drop it when I started to get to know people, and I started using my real name, and then but I never shaked, was able to shake the X. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to remember that my first experience with, with I know it had to be Station 8. I, you know, the show came out, I was, uh, you know, a stay-at-home mom. I had uh, two kids that were five, and, um, and like, just the show had just intrigued me. And so, again, I went digging on the internet. Um, uh, I remember CastleNet and, you know, like... <laughs> rat.org and like all these old websites um but we we i found my people there uh you know and and it gargoyles like sparked this whole i hadn't drawn in years i had drawn i loved i thought i was going to be an artist when i grew up life changes like things happen um but i hadn't drawn in years and then gargoyles came along and i started drawing again um and uh, then I started reading uh, fanfic that had a certain character named Jericho in it that I absolutely loved. <laughs> he, there's that eye twitch. He's not on video, and I can see the eye twitch. Um, you are so right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like I, uh, then you know I had missed the first gathering convention. Um, and then it heard it a- about it after it was over. Um, but then I heard that they were doing another one. Uh, it was happening. I was going. And that's where um, I got to meet these amazing people in person for the first time. And uh, I went all out with my Demona costume and everything. <laughs> that was a very memorable Demona costume. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I- uh, you know, and I, I even got my husband at the time to shave his beard to be me, the the right way to be Macbeth. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> I, I it was great. It was absolutely great. Like I, I got to put faces to names, which was was so unusual at the time that we got to actually do that, and um, and got to meet uh, Weisman for the first time too, and he's regretted it ever since. <laughs> no, 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 no. Just two or three times. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, and and to further on how like that connection with Greg later, like he threw me a job opening one time while he was working on Spectacular Spider Man, and 
uh, he had got stuck working with me for a couple <laughs> for a little while there too. <laughs> um, Did not regret that. Uh, that was that was that was great. Uh, working on Spectacular Spider-Man and Young Justice was um, a lot of fun. Probably the best working years of my life, and um, uh, good times. And I'm just so thankful that I'm drawing, still drawing again. Love it. I'm grateful for that too. Mm-hmm. Honestly, <laughs> I'm very happy to see you drawing again. So that that is very much a source of joy for me. She drew me a tattoo once. I know. <laughs> he actually put it on his body. Sucker. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, and I, I stepped in. I got obsessed with that whole gathering thing and kind of went overboard with it. <laughs> yeah, you kind of chaired a few of them and, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. convinced me mm-hmm. to chair one of them and had me a staff and Greg also uh, chaired the gathering of the gargoyles and we're all nuts. Yeah, in New York City 2003, we had no idea what we were doing, and I'm amazed at the thing I tried to ended you. without being a disaster. But, you know, it was, at the same time, it was still one of the most joyous experiences of my life that even though I said I'm never going to do another one of these again, I ended up joining the 2006 staff, then the 2008 staff, and the 2009 staff. And after so many people who would... Staff one just disappeared. <laughs> I I feel <laughs> I feel like uh, we can all blame uh, her. What was it? May Lee. Was yeah, May Lee was the one who yeah, did the, uh, the, the the very first, first one in 1997. Yeah, uh, yeah. pretty much by herself. Yeah, yeah. And then dropped she off the planet. Out on it, it took her ten <laughs> more years to come come back to it. <laughs> <laughs> it was she came uh the only time when the, uh, she came to another one was 2009 which was the last one we did yes but uh yeah very grateful for her yeah it was it was so it, it wasn't it just like a, she posted in the comment room one day hey how about getting together or something like that and enough people showed interest and she just Made the gathering. Yeah. She ran with it and sparked a, all this uh, this camaraderie between us and this ability to get together and enjoy uh, uh, in, in one instead of, you know, an AOL room. Yeah. <laughs> this podcast um, might not exist without Melee. Might not exist at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On that note, speaking of um, Melee in that first gathering, Greg, I believe you've got a great story about... When you first went to the gathering, uh, I have many stories, as we know. <laughs> I'm not sure specifically which one you're referring to. Uh, uh, the Keith Davis story, or uh, there's so many stories. Which which are you talking about? Yeah, you're gonna have to or like when I first arrived. When the fans, yeah, when the fans first met you in person, and apparently you were just another face among the crowd for a little while, <laughs> or someone else can tell oh, the yeah, story. I, when I first, when I first arrived. Uh, I checked into the hotel, and um, back then there was nothing like a guest liaison because, again, May Lee was sort of single-handedly doing everything, which was insane. And I didn't realize either, A, that she was attempting to do everything, or that, B, that um, just I didn't know back then what all went into running a convention. 
So I just checked into my hotel, and then uh, I had a friend who lived in New York, uh, Doug Grabowski. Uh, Doug and I just went down to the, uh, I feel like it was, was it in like a basement or uh, um, something like that. Uh, and, you know, there was a room, Christine, you were there. Uh, and, um, and they were doing uh, a version of Hollywood Squares, which... I don't know if this audience listening knows what Hollywood Squares is at all. <laughs> like, does Hollywood Squares mean, does that mean anything to anybody listening yeah. out there? <laughs> um, but, um, and I guess they had some notion that I was supposed to be center square or something like that. Um participating, but no one had told me that. And so Doug and I are just standing there. And, um, at some point I do, Christine, I feel like this was you said, well, Greg Weissman was supposed to be here, but he's not here. And then I'm like, no, I'm here. I'm here. (laughs) And everyone just sort of turns and cause no one knew what I looked like, you know, um, the early days of the internet, it's not like, uh, people had my picture or anything like that. Um, uh, so I had just been standing there among the crowd and, uh, I wasn't hiding, but I didn't know I was supposed to be doing anything. So I'm just watching. And then, uh, I sort of, I guess, outed myself or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> um, and, uh, uh, and yeah, there was kind of, a. I think mostly people were dubious, like, yeah, right. This guy's very question. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It was my impression. <laughs> that most of the people there took one look at me and said, I don't think so. <laughs> and we kind of went from there. That sort of set the tone for the whole relationship. Wait, this guy? I don't know. <laughs> I think that's story. Actually, right? I was, um, this past week, I've been traveling to see some friends, like from way, way back uh, as well. Um you know, internet friends that I hadn't seen in a long time. And um, the friend I was visiting took out a uh, small book, an anthology that, if you guys remember, Xing Ying Kor had created an anthology called I Was a Teenage Gargoyle. And in it, I did a story about that first gathering, getting into the, the fandom and that first gathering of the gargoyles. And I hadn't looked at that story in a good long while. And I opened up the book and I started seeing like all these faces that I drew that first gathering, finishing with the whole Keith David, I've been denied everything, even my revenge. And just going, that's, that's Patrick Toman and that's Eric and that's Christine. And that over there is, and and Greg Weissman is back there and the whole thing, it brought so many memories. And I was like, this is, this is great. Just before this podcast, it's been really fun to dive back into that, uh, into those memories and seeing you guys again. It's, it's like, yeah, it's the memories again. I'm really enjoying this right now. <laughs> Good times. Good time. <laughs> And we've talked about the friendships forged. I mean, even though a lot of us haven't seen each other in person in a very long time, Corinne and Jennifer notwithstanding here, I believe it's been, 
you can count that in hours at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just we just uh, met at Denver Airport. She had a layover, yeah. and we had some food and got to sit and talk. It was great. But it was even fantastic. Though, yeah. But even though the conventions ended and it felt like things were hibernating for a very long time, we all never lost touch. I still see or hear from most of you, if not every day, at least once a week. There's, there's definitely a group of us that, um, and, I, and I realize that most of them are people that weathered through uh, working on the Gathering of the Gargoyles conventions. Um, but we really created this very close, tight-knit family. Um, and, you know, and, and just the laughter and the fun and sometimes even the drama and stuff. It, it, it was such a family and, uh, I miss us all getting together. I really do. It was a good time. I do too. And so far, what this reminds me of most is this was never actually on the con schedules. I mean, the panels were fun. The radio plays were fantastic. The masquerades the banquets, but my favorite gathering moments to this day, when I think back, we're just staying up until five in the morning in someone's hotel room, all of us just chatting. <laughs> until the security was called, yeah, and we were making too yeah. much noise. <laughs> Greg Tell stands Greg up on the table. And <laughs> yeah. I did that I did that once when I had pneumonia. <laughs> <laughs> Recovered from pneumonia just before the convention, and I was still, uh, I had been coughing so hard that I'd literally pulled a muscle in my chest, ripped it, it ripped it, you know, clean of the bone. Um, and I was in tremendous pain, but I loved you people all so much that we stayed up, you know, till ridiculous hours at night. This was in uh, one of the Universal City hotels, was it the Sheridan? Yeah, the Sheridan. Um, and uh, so I'm, like, coughing up a lung. Uh, you know, I wasn't contagious. This is way pre-pandemic. <laughs> so we knew a lot less. <laughs> but, um, I was past the contagion stage, but I was still, you know, the problem, of course, being that I just won't stop talking. So I keep coughing. But, yeah, I, I, uh, it was so much fun that even though I had pneumonia, I was doing it. That is awesome. So um, let's talk a little, little bit about the show itself. Do any, do all of you, do you have any favorite characters or favorite episodes in particular that stand out? I definitely, out? I don't have a favorite character at all. Nope, <laughs> not me. I think you and I have the same favorite character, Jen, and I think we just <laughs> spent our last four episodes really doing a deep dive there. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Eric, who's your favorite? Fess uh, up. It's Broadway. It's always been Broadway. Uh, I, I think, I think Deadly Force is the episode that cemented that for me. Cause I like the idea, uh, you know, uh, new into the city, but you know, Broadway's already going out and having fun watching movies, you know, likes to have fun. That's, that's, I can relate to that, you know, and then he comes back and he's just going to, you know, hang out with Elisa they're buds now, making friends quickly. That's cool. And then everything changes in a split second. And, you know, you can see the the, the emotion that he has for Elisa, for that situation, which carries on through a few more episodes. And I always thought that was uh, 
it was like he was the 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 first one that seemed to uh have a range of emotion in in so short a time that somehow it stuck with me. I don't know how else to to put it. So it's Broadway. And plus every episode except for, you know, Future Tense, what a wonderful show. <laughs> He's always having fun and, and happy and stuff and until Future Tense, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> When you made Which us all Greg cry, Greg. <laughs> I didn't make future tense. <laughs> that that <laughs> shot of an an eyeless Broadway tearing up still today. I mean, I've seen that a million times at this point. It still gets me. Greg. Well, the good <laughs> news is, is it was supposed to get you. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Working as designed. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Broadway's a very yeah. good choice. Very good choice. All right, Christine. Okay, well let's see. When when I was a kid, my very first ever crush was Disney's animated Robin Hood. My second ever crush was Disney's animated Chernabog for rather different reasons that I didn't understand at the time. But that having that crush on Chernabog predisposed me to immediately fall for Goliath in a big way the moment I saw the very first preview. So back then at the start he was he was my favorite character for you know, beefcake factor and sexy <laughs> factor and passion and all that. Over the years, the older I get uh, and the more I, the more I write, the more I admire and appreciate the character of Xanatos and just how complex and wonderfully presented he was so. I think here at, at this at this other end of things, I think he's my favorite character for that reason, for his motivations, his complexity. That he wasn't a villain, villain, but he was just such an amazing antagonist that that has just always always stuck with me. But I also, while we're talking about the show, wanted to say another huge thank you to everybody on the team because your Vikings did not have horns on their helmets. <laughs> I have done two collections worth of Viking stories by now, and I still have to fight with people over whether Vikings had horns on their helmets. So, so thank you for a realistic depiction of Vikings. It really, they really, even the like the shields and everything, they really did a great job. Yeah, historically. Yes, uh, with and, the Vikings. And I, I, I write, I write a lot of historical stuff, and I appreciate that so much. Um, uh, as for as me, we discussed before, I can't take credit for the Vikings not having horned helmets. I'm happy they didn't, but uh, I can't take credit for that. That's uh, Frank and our great people at Walt Disney Japan. 
So for me, I'm a Brooklyn fangirl. I I like his style. I like the fact that his design um, wasn't a human face. I liked his snark. I liked um, just the attitude. I liked a lot of things about Brooklyn. And uh, I latched on to Brooklyn fairly uh, quickly. Um, and yeah, he's he's been my favorite. Uh, and I don't think I've really budged from that position. As far as episodes go, yeah, uh, The Mirror, Future Tense, Hunter's Moon, uh, these are really the episodes that resonate a lot with me. So, I, I don't know. I just, I like the uh, the what-if type of stories. I like the, um, I like uh, time travel stories and all that is implied with that. Uh, which is why I also liked in the, uh, the Avalon uh, the one with Griff, Una, and Leo. I enjoyed that story as well because of the whole time travel stuff. Um, but yeah, yeah these I are time travel, right? Too. I, I appreciate that as well. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's my choices. Brooklyn and time travel, <laughs> Nate. If you're listening, and you guys ever do the time travel spinoff as a comic book, this is your artist. Yes, please. I, Greg, Jennifer, do you guys have a favorite? Well, we know your favorite is Demona, but do you have favorite episodes? City of Stone, again, I've said before it was a revelation, but aside from City of Stone, the pilot is fantastic. The five-part pilot, I've noticed most pilots out there, pilots are tricky, they're hard. You introduce too much, it feels artificial. You drag it out too long, it's frustrating, and it doesn't hook you. They did this right Across five episodes, they gave you what you needed at the exact right time, at the exact pace. The animation is stellar, and it's it's everything a pilot should be. Hunter's Moon is another one. It's a great season finale. I refuse to call it a series finale, especially now that we've got more canon coming. But it's just fantastic, and it was a great place to leave off while leave us wanting more. And you, you gotta love the mirror as well, and... Deadly Force is very important as an episode, and uh, even little things like The Hound of Ulster, beautiful animation and sound design, and some fun one-shot characters I wouldn't mind seeing again. Well, I feel I feel yeah. bad coming in at the end of this and just being like, yeah, what they said. But, <laughs> <laughs> of course, Demona's my favorite. Um, uh Brooklyn was a hard second for a very long time. I think Goliath might have passed him up at this point, but uh, I I love the the sassy. Um, I, he's kind of he's the Han Solo of the group, you know, and I I like that kind of character. Um, but uh, I loved how, especially when we get to City of Stone, how complicated Demona is. And how frustrating it was that she is her own problem. Um, and just it was just absolutely um, uh, just taken from her from the beginning. And she just uh, just struck a chord with me. I just I, I love to just be frustrated at her. <laughs> um, uh, as for, you know, episodes. um 
vows really loved vows um and uh, probably hunter's moon are really the top ones for me that i'll just put on and watch over and over nice i should probably come back around with a second favorite character then i'm gonna echo what christine said and go with xanatos what a fantastic character not just a fantastic villain but a fantastic character and who inspires a lot of passionate debate, just as often as Demona does, because I have found recently, and there are times when it gets frustrating, a lot of people don't seem to quite understand Xanatos. Some people believe he's a genuinely good guy, or has become a good guy. He's a genuinely nice person. No, I mean, I've seen someone try to absolve him of everything in Metamorphosis, like that last scene with him didn't happen. And then there are people who, and I just got into this today, unfortunately, someone actually compared him to a Nazi for human experimentation, and they were accused him of experimenting on Fox with the Eye of Odin, which is not quite how I see it. I don't think he would do that. I think that was just genuine hubris on his part. But it occurs to me, you have half the people who think he's pure evil, half the people who think, oh, he's genuine, he can be trusted now, and... That is just so perfect, actually. That's exactly how the characters on the show see him. And and just an aside, I just now realized, as I'm sitting here looking at you guys, that there are three members of the Order of the Phoenix Gate on this <laughs> podcast right now. <laughs> oh, we need to tell people what that is. We need to tell people Eric, what that goodness, is. What is that? <laughs> Yes, please do. Please do elucidate. Um, um, I, I was there, but I didn't get the the, the indoctrinated into the, te- the, the 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 order. The order. But I was there. Um, that was uh, Pigeon Forge. The, we had a convention in Pigeon Forge, uh, Tennessee. Nikki Owens uh, ran that one, um, and there was nothing but waffle houses and tattoo parlors <laughs> everywhere. <you laughs> I was one of the few people who had who, who drove there. I had my own car. We had to drive out of town with Tom Adcox to pick up alcohol because there was a dry community. <laughs> yeah, we it was a dry we... county, so yeah. we couldn't drink, so we got tattoos. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we uh, we got a, um, uh, I, be- I believe Andy um, was the one that, that drew the Phoenix Gate. Uh, mm-hmm. That we got, um, but we went and got a, a whole bunch of us, and we dragged Tom Adcox with us too. Um, went and got Phoenix Gate tattoos because <laughs> we're nerds. And I remember <laughs> Weissman's response. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was, "You fucking crazy bitch." <laughs> Well, you've been threatening to do it for a while, as I recall. Yeah. No, no, it was something I wanted to do, and it was awesome to do it with a handful of my family. So. Yep. Like you said, a whole bunch of nerds. Yeah. What got me about going through it is at the time, I was unprepared for just how painless it would be. I had raced myself for something that would hurt more. (laughs) I I held Gore's hand through the whole thing. He was he was such a brave boy. He was so brave. <laughs> it was like somebody was repeatedly cutting over the same part of my skin with a razor blade. It was awful. I'm glad I have the tattoo though. But thank you, Jen. Thank you very much. <laughs> Always pain is temp- Pain is temporary. 
Memories are forever. You're all nuts. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, probably. <laughs> so, um, we can shift gears a little bit. Um, what other m- memories of the gathering do you have that are special to you? Oh, that's easy. Uh, the first gathering in 97 and was it was it opening ceremonies? It was the, the I think it was the first night and and we're all in the, the the big room and Greg starts he he gives his first of what would be many iterations of those those stories the the how gargoyles came about stories that were great and uh, what was it at one point we we didn't know at the time who the guests were other than Greg or at least I didn't mm-hmm. and then at some point. Greg makes a comment and he says, and here's Keith David mm-hmm. and all of us turn around, look at the back of the room, just absolutely freaking out. And there's nobody there. And so we all turn back around like Greg, you so-and-so. And then I don't know how much time went by, maybe another five, 10 minutes. And he did it again. And it's like, we're not falling for it this time. And Keith David was there <laughs> and just the shock and surprise and excited noises that were going through that room were great. Like I was not expecting Keith David to be there, and there he is walking, walking down the uh, aisle, and and was incredibly happy to sit and chat and tell stories. And it was just that was a great first night. It was it was me sitting there going, I cannot believe this is happening. Is this happening? Yeah, that's Greg Wiseman. He created Gargoyles. That's Keith David. He's the voice of Goliath, and this is me right here. Why? How? That was that's a that left so, a very strong impression that first night. So the backstory on that is um, I knew Keith was coming, so I actually planned it and it worked exactly as I thought it would. Anyway, um, uh, Keith was in New York, and I came in and I said, uh, "Hey, do you want to get together and uh, have dinner?" And he's like, "Yeah." What he didn't mention is that he was on a date with uh, this woman, Dion, who, by the way, is now his wife and the mother of his children. But um, but this was their first date. So I invite myself along <laughs> on their first date, which is nuts, but he never said, uh, look, Greg, I, I love you, but... I'm trying to date this woman. <laughs> this is our first shot at it. Maybe I should be alone. He doesn't say that. He lets me come to dinner with the two of them and pay for dinner, by the way. Um, and, um, and then I say, well, and I, I still don't know it's their first day. I don't find this out till later. I say, well, you know, the convention's going on. I know they'd love to see you. I, uh, do you, you feel like coming? And he's like, uh, yeah, I, I'll stop by. And, um, so when I went in and did what, what, uh, Gorbass just said, which is, uh, uh, you know, I said it the first time when he wasn't there cause I knew he was coming. Um, so it, everyone turns and they're all mad at me and everything cause I've fooled them. And then, you know, I do it again when I, I see him at the back of the room and no one believes that he's really there, which is hilarious. Then you hear his voice. I mean, literally people were refusing to turn around and then you hear his voice, which of course is unmistakably. 
Keith, unmistakably Goliath. And um, he comes up the aisle. And I guess he impressed the hell out of Dion that night because they got married, had kids, the whole thing, you know. So uh, <laughs> it all worked out. Uh, well, she got to watch him be worshipped like a god their first date. I mean, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I wasn't that's, at that. That's right. I wasn't at that first gathering, but I was at the second one, and you did that with Sally Richardson, who wasn't there at all. But <laughs> did I really? God, I'm so obnoxious. <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> I'm recalling another con story where we're um, standing in the audience, and there's uh, a comment coming from Greg about uh, you know how many people have been here for this many gatherings and this many gatherings and as you know the, the 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 number increases hands are going down i can't remember exactly what the context was but there was something about um you know who's a convergen and then you hear this little kid's <laughs> voice saying mommy what's a convergen <laughs> that, that was one of the la cons that was definitely yes. sheridan <laughs> And Murr was the one that was like, do, he was the MC. Do you remember mm-hmm. Murr? Oh, yeah. Yes, I remember yeah. Murr. <laughs> that was great. Like, it was quiet. Everybody's like, those are standing in the hall. Like, who's a convergent? You just hear this cute little voice. Mommy, what's a convergent? Well, speaking of kids, I think my, my favorite memory was bringing Becca and her Lexington costume to meet with Tom. She was so little, and I remember she stood up at the banquet and recited the the opening, uh, the opening bit, but just being able to see her enjoy that, you know, being able to see her meet Tom, being able to I don't know, the year I dressed her up in a Bronx costume, the poor kid. Yes. Um, you know, and to, to this day, you know, she'll, she always comes back with, you know, that's that's my childhood. And uh, just recently, I, I posted that picture of her and Tom on Facebook, and then Tom commented on it, and I told him that someday we need to get the two of them together and recreate that pic, you know, the way people do when <laughs> yes. they create Yes. Pic. <laughs> so long later, but but yeah, it was just being, and, and being able to to share that with her and do that for her. And just for reference, how old is Becca now? Becca, <laughs> oh Becca no, is twenty eight. Oh my god, we've <laughs> 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 lost, we've lost, Gore, Gore down. A graduate degree in property and stage management she works for an escape room company and is basically one of the coolest damn people i know and i take a lot of credit for it even though she spent (laughs) most of her teenage years uh dealing with your mom wrote what But uh, and and as long as as long as we're remembering kids and embarrassing them, um, Greg, do you remember that time in Florida when Aaron and Benny were there? Yeah, 
And my my first meeting with Benny, he must have known I was a mom because he ran over to me to show me all proud that he had big boy underpants. So be sure to remind him of that because I have never forgotten. And if we can't embarrass our children, what's the point? <laughs> yep. Oh, I, yeah, this Benny reminds is me of the- 25 lives in Manhattan uh, uh, with his boyfriend and uh, works in finance and um, uh, with a goal to make millions so he can retire young. That's um, <laughs> And uh, Aaron is 28, lives in D.C. with her fiancé uh, and teaches at Sidwell Friends, teaches preschool at Sidwell Friends, which is where Obama's kids and Bush's kids all went. Um, so they are fully grown-up people. But yes, once upon a time, we dressed them up like Xanatos and Fox and Karate Gi. That, that was the Bronx year, Becca. <laughs> that was the Bronx year. <laughs> and, uh, uh, yeah, it was great. I mean, my kids loved the gathering. Yeah. And my wife tolerated it. All right, Kedan, you were going to say something? I was going to say in 2007, because I'd given birth to my youngest um, just in February, at the end of February, and the gathering was in July, I couldn't leave it at home. So I brought Sam with me to the gathering. And he ended up being, you know, carried around by all the people at the con and just being uh, that Sammy had Sam on him for a long period of time. I have a Christmas ornament that Tom gave Sam from that gathering. Um, I just have such great memories of being there with my tiny little toddler, my tiny little baby that everybody just loved on. And he was like, he I remember was, you being hesitant at first, like, should I, shouldn't I? And I'm like, bring the kid. Like, I'll be there. We'll, we'll, us, us ladies will handle it. Like, we got it. The guys took over that baby. Oh, yeah. Well, and I, I Weissman, Borg, uh, Sammy, like, they just stepped up and just took care of that little boy. <laughs> yep. And I, I remember the year you were so pregnant. Yes, that and, was 2004. Uh, was, it, was it Lanny who freaked out because he went to give you a hug and then realized that that's where babies were made? <laughs> I, I him jumping back like, oh my God, I touched a pregnant woman. <laughs> I dressed up as Fox, as pregnant Fox at that <laughs> gathering. I was chairing that gathering. Yep. Yeah, we called you the Iron Con Head. I had just done it the previous year, and I was watching you do it while you were pregnant, and I was thinking, how? How is she still standing? Then, I, of Second course, I realized... Trimester. Second trimester, you're like the Energizer Bunny. For sure. I, that's the only explanation I can give you. It's I, I could accomplish everything in the second trimester. <laughs> Third trimester, I was out for the camp. <laughs> Time trimester, well. trimester night you're also much tougher than I am so there you go that was part of it <laughs> she's not in an agreement 
That's true. It's true. Okay, I assume by now you've all read the new comic, the Dynam yes. from Dynamite. Yep. I, yep. I, I have not because I, I have no life and I can't go anywhere and I have no money and I can't do anything. But don't worry about spoilers. I'll just go. I'll, I'll catch up. <laughs> well, we'll have to rectify that, first of all. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, Gore, you saw Ooh. it? You read it? I saw it. I read it. Uh, Impressions? What struck me the most is as I'm reading the the dialogue, like the Angela line felt the 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 way the words were written. It it read as Angela to me. The way uh, Elisa talked. It I don't know how to describe it. The characters felt like the the dialogue, the the combination of words. <laughs> yes, that's what dialogue is. Uh, <laughs> and and I kind of wanted to. Ask Greg this. I mean, when you're writing those characters, do you have some do you have some guide that says this character uses these words or or, or speaks in this way that because it, it somehow it felt the characters each felt like how they've always been. Does that you could I mean, hear their I, voices? I have, yeah, I don't have a guide, but I you know, I'm very familiar with their voices and, and so, <laughs> you know, it, it, I, I, I hear it in my head. And so I try to, to make them speak the way I hear it in my head. And, and, you know, so you, I've written, uh, so you, you just write for the character, you know, as opposed to, I mean, what you don't want to do, obviously, and this is so obviously it's ridiculous for me to say, but you just don't want everyone to sound like generic speakers, you know, that each one has uh, his or their own voice, uh, um, their own way of speaking, their own point of view on things. And um, so, you know, you, you take a line for Angela, well, that line wouldn't fit in Broadway's mouth or in Brooklyn's or in Goliath's or even in Elisa's, you know. And each one is unique. If I'm doing my job right, it should feel like you're hearing their voices. And even for a character who um, you never heard speak in the show, um, you know, you try and get that uh, in your head as well. There are little things that I sort of check to make sure, like, I mean, this is a dopey example, but, you know, Goliath doesn't use contractions, or almost never. I mean, and... So, you know, every once in a while I'll go through and go, oh, wait, I contracted that here and he wouldn't do that. And I fix that, um, you know, I will instead of I'll uh, or cannot instead of can't. Um, but I don't make those errors actually all that often because, again, you know, I can hear Keith reading the life in my head. And uh, so, you know, nine times out of 10, I wouldn't make that mistake in the first place, but that at least is something objective that I can check and go through and make sure I haven't messed up. I also, again, I don't know how to describe it. Katana definitely had a different voice from others. Nash, I can't wait to see him do more stuff. Uh, yeah, Nash is fun. 
but the uh, the end of the first issue, of course, it has to to end on a on something, and it, it's a bit ominous because <laughs> we've seen the cover for the next issue, so we know where things are going, and I don't want Thalog to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to not say anything too much to to give away anything here, right? <laughs> if, if if you want to go buy the comic, it's not a difficult thing to find. Mm-hmm. And oh my gosh, I just I know I've I've heard you talk about Greg, but the next the, the, these three issues, like three issues, make up an, an an episode, and it's like, can I really sit in between an act for a month? in a TV episode <laughs> like that. It's like, no, I can't. This is terrible, but I'm going to, I am going to. Because Especially once the, the age of binging, of binge <laughs> yeah. watching, yes. like we've been so spoiled yeah. with just info dumps. But I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, I, I cannot wait. I really cannot wait. So can I, can I get, you know, a little hint at what's happening next? <laughs> By the time this is posted, issue two will be will be out or should be out. Well, you I... said you saw the cover, but there are many covers. One of them is the <laughs> cover of Angela cuddling with a puppy. Um, so, for all you know, that's what the whole issue is about: Angela cuddling with a puppy. Oh, I I would I would buy that issue. Twenty-two pages of that. We- Weissman is using his dad voice to soothe Gore right now. <laughs> <laughs> I get I get a little tense when kids get involved. You know, it's it's great for a uh, for a story for for getting up the tan- t- the t- the tension the tension. I don't know. I'm, I guess I'm ready for the next issue is what it's what I'm getting at. What I enjoyed is, yeah, it's a recap of a bunch of stuff, but it's like, oh, yeah, this weird thing is like, that's the status of things, but I'm not going to go into it right now. So it's basically, hey, go back and watch the show and try to find the SLG comics because that's where you get your backstory. Um, I also... Uh, found Talon's, um, you know, ominous presence and saying, there, I paged my sister. And the the guy who goes, yeah, you should probably, you know, call doctor or midwife. Oh, yeah, yeah, that, 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 that's what I should, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. Um, I very much enjoyed the art. Uh, it's... Um, it has a simplicity to it that is not a simplicity of animation, um, but it's it's uh, really nice. It's light in terms of, um, you know, the characters are clear and they're, the silhouettes are good and all that. And I'm going into storyboard speak now. Uh, the, the, the storytelling is uh, really great. The characters are emoting. It doesn't look like it's the TV show. It's not the style of the TV show, but each character is clearly who
who they are. And we've seen in previous comics where sometimes you're going, eh, not sure if that really reflects the character right. But this this book, I, I'm very uh, I'm very happy uh, seeing it the way it is. And, and the art is great. The storytelling is great. I'm really happy and looking forward to the next issue. One of the things that jumped out One of the things that jumped out at me on a reread the other day was Tony Dracon's reaction to hearing that his uncle is being released. So I'm really looking forward to this. I mean, I think it's fair to say that Tony was never the most popular member of the Rogues Gallery, and I get that when you've got Xanatos, Demona, Thalog, and these larger-than-life figures, while Tony is something quite familiar. But we're getting more dimension to him now, even in that little moment. And you once said that the key to making a great villain is to make them a dark mirror image or an opposite to their hero to the hero i mean the manhattan clan is a clan is a family and now the dracons are becoming a family an evil family maybe dysfunctional because tony didn't seem thrilled about his uncle getting out and that's going to be an interesting contrast to our clan that is that loves one another is close to each other and helps each other out Although Lexington seems a little bit unhappy lately, but <laughs> I'm really looking forward to seeing that. And maybe my read is completely wrong, but I'm looking forward to... No, I got to... that too. Yeah. I got that, that, that impression that Dracon was not happy about this. Probably because he's no longer going to be the one in charge. Or maybe there's something about, you know, not being able to live up to family expectations and feeling like he's going to be replaced. Or it could be a whole bunch of different things. But I did feel that Dracon's, uh, you know, they, that Broad pu- pushing the buttons on Dracon. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I'm really looking forward to it. And I've seen a lot of mob movies since I've watched Gargoyles for the first time. So I... I'm looking forward to seeing this take on it, and um, we'll see what happens, because I recall and asked Greg at one point, Greg saying that in theory, Tony uh, would answer to the head of the family, but in practice he operated solo, considering how much leeway he had. So that gives, I'm not going to ask Greg any questions, but that gives me some theories about what's going on, and, and I'm beginning to wonder is if, say, Uncle was the boss of the family, went away, and it gave Tony kind of a play a way means to make Manhattan his playground and then let's be honest, he messes up in protection by letting his dick get the better of him. <laughs> Don't they all <laughs> What about you, Jennifer? Well in previous episodes, because we you know we got to to peek at it early. Um I uh, I I gave my two cents, but like, um, I really loved just how much movement was in the art. Like nothing seemed very static and stiff, except you know. But and like, it felt like Manhattan, Gargoyles Manhattan, and it just, um, I liked the style of it, um, just because it seemed like it flowed so much. And I, you know, there were little nods that I really, uh, liked like. W- the close-up of Goliath's mouth, and then later on you see the close, the same basic, you know, the same shot of Thalog's mouth. And, I, you know, it was just, like, little things like that, and I really appreciate it. And again, like like Gore said, you can hear their voices. You just hear their voices as you're reading it, and it's uh, it just, it felt like home. It was so good. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. 
we're going to get Christine a copy, and then she's going to have to write us an essay on that. We'll expect at least three pages. <laughs> so anyone else mentally casting actors as the new characters like uh, Katana and Nashville in their heads just have you something You know that there. I never stop. I never stop casting people. I'm always... <laughs> <laughs> but maybe, assuming Greg wants to uh, tell us, or maybe he doesn't, who do you have in your heads for those two? Yeah, I don't do that anymore. Uh, the, the reason... I, I used to, but uh, the reason I don't do that anymore is because, um, you know, what if we got to make the show and then... Um, you know, we wind up casting a different actor, then that actor or the audience or both know, well, that's the second choice. That wasn't his original choice, you know? And I think that's a really unfair burden to put on an actor who might actually be better in the role than someone I make up. I mean, not make up, but you know, someone I on a whim go, I mean, that's kind of who I've got in mind. And I do have people in mind for characters that, we haven't heard voices on yet. Um, but I'm not locked in on those people for obvious reasons. And it, you know, on the off chance and I know it's a long shot, but on the off chance that someday, you know, we make more gargoyles and we cast Katana, we cast Nash, um, or, or any character that hasn't spoken yet. Uh, I'd rather, give that performer the freedom to, to make the character their own rather than have them feel like, Oh yeah, I, I was their second choice, you know, kind of thing. And, uh, or, or subject them on this thing called the internet to <laughs> all sorts of obnoxious people who would say, yeah, well that wasn't who we wanted originally, you know? Um, so and I, they absolutely uh, would. I do have, mm-hmm. and they absolutely would. <laughs> um, so although I do have people in mind, I'm just going to, I'm not going to reveal it. And it is a direct result of how nasty the internet is. That's why you can't have nice things, people. Uh, <laughs> it's because of the internet. Um, mm-hmm. I, I can't reveal that stuff because I, it, it just, it, it, it just has the potential of becoming such a toxic thing. Um, and uh, and I just won't, I won't do that to uh, an actor. Um, it's too unfair. And you know I've done it in the past, some time ago before I <laughs> before I was on Twitter, <laughs> before I really <laughs> had my head around just how problematic things could get along those lines. Um, so there are a handful of characters that were that people asked me, well, who do you have in mind for this? And I would tell them. Um, and it seemed harmless and fun, even. but, uh, now I don't think it's harmless. I mean, it could wind up being harmless if we never actually make anything, but I don't want to bet against us. I'd rather bet, you know, on the property that someday we do get to make it. Not, I, just to be clear, it's not like I, not like there's any plans right now. There aren't, but I would hope someday maybe you would. And on the off chance that that happens uh, as unlikely as it may be i would prefer not to say well we've had some pretty good momentum with this property for the last year and a half so who knows so um i guess I'm, yeah on that knows. note who's been buying the action figures from NECA? i have i got goliath uh I, 
I have everything pre-ordered, and when it shows yeah. up, it it shows up. I've got four of them now. How many more have I pre-ordered? <laughs> it's like it's like a surprise. You just pre-order them, and then eventually they show up, and you're like, "Hey, past me was awesome." <laughs> it is the, the the place that I order it from. When I get the shipment notification, "Hey, it's heading out to you," is the same day it gets delivered without fail. So there are times where a box shows up. And I know the shape of the box at this point. And I'm like, huh, which one is that? <laughs> I still remember. Yeah, I'm in Canada, yeah. so shipping is expensive, which means I do the, the box of loot thing. And then they sent me a message saying, hey, um, we got this stuff here. You better have it delivered or else we're canceling your order. So I've got, I've received a bunch, but I still have others on pre-order. So I'm just waiting for stuff to accumulate. From what I understand, no. NECA only has the license to sell these things in the United States, so hopefully that'll expand at some point, but so far, I mean, I, I've got all the ones released so far. I've got Goliath, I've got Thalog, I've got Demona, I've got Bronx and Hudson, and uh, I've got Brooklyn and Broadway on pre-order, but the ones they showed off that are coming out next year, Lexington, I'm actually looking forward to seeing a better picture of his wings. I'm pretty certain that they're wired, so they've got a wire in them so he can pose them along with his arms, which I think is a good way to do it there we've also got angela coming out who i wasn't expecting to see so soon and uh with the we've talked about this before with the little baby angela and an egg and i think most fans are going to use yes. that egg as that guardo from the comic but <laughs> 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 and we've got xanatos in his business suit xanatos in his armor and this and the steel clan are about coming out and they've already teased us with silhouettes of elisa maza and Macbeth, which uh, caused a little bit of frustration on a show a couple a couple shows ago. Because don't make me get upset again. Don't make me get upset again. <laughs> no, I'm right there with you. I am right there with you. I think it, I I get why, but I think it's long past time they showed us Elisa's figure in the flesh. So in the plastic. <laughs> yes, in the plastic. Yeah. Agreed. Even no, if we I... have to wait a while for it, I really would like to see her. Mm-hmm. I was a little disappointed that Demona had red hair. We didn't get the OG the- black hair, Demona. <laughs> <laughs> the old, the old applause, the applause vinyl figure. <laughs> didn't we the all take a paint? Didn't we all take a paintbrush to that back in the day? I- <laughs> oh my gosh! I, I remember being frustrated that that figure would not stand up. On her own. All the rest of other figures would, but she just toppled over every other day. <laughs> I, yeah. I end up getting a doll stand for that thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember it, it was the first gathering. We were just had nothing to do, a group of us, and we went walking down the street and we found a shop and that sold everything. Yeah. And I got way in my gargoyles mugs from there. They had all the applause figures, and once word got out, the the owner of the store, I think, brought them out front because everybody kept coming by asking for the figures. I'm pretty impressed with the uh, new merch we're getting. I took my Kenner. One of the Kenner Goliaths had sort of darker skin, and I used liquid paper on his hair to make him into Thalog. (laughs) Was that the one with the? Was that the one with the armor? I don't remember. I know which one you're talking about. A darker skin. It said the black hair. I still hair. have it in storage, but I I uh, uh, I no longer have an out of home office to uh, 
display hundreds of toys I've acquired over the years doing animation for 30 <laughs> plus years. Uh, and in comics for nearly 40. Um, so now I've got just boxes of stuff in storage because for whatever reason my wife is not excited about the idea of me expanding um, <laughs> putting toys all over the house. <laughs> um, so... Yeah, I'm pulling it up right now. I think I know which Goliath that is. It's uh, one of the deluxe ones, Mighty Roar Goliath, and I can see why you chose that one for Thalog. Let me, uh... It, it had armor, it had a breastplate, and, um... Looking at this thing, I think Kenner should have made this th- an official Thalog. I mean, look at that. Yeah, that definitely well, looks Well, at the like... time, you know, we couldn't convince Kenner to do much of anything except the upteenth iteration of Goliath. Uh, they just, I mean, they were really hot for us in season one, and then, you know, during season two, we were up against Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, and um, our toy sales just really fell off during season two, and so it's just like, let's do another Goliath. 40 characters in this show, 50 characters. Let's do another Goliath. <laughs> yeah, I I specifically went looking for one of each character. I wasn't going to get the 50 Goliaths. I chose like one of each that was most screen accurate. If you give me toys that don't fit with the scheme of the show, I'm not getting them. Yeah. I think that's how most fans are. I mean, I would have bought an Eye of Odin nice Goliath because that was a really cool episode, but I'm not going to buy... That Goliath that looks like he's on fire. You know the one I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. Or the Ice Storm Brooklyn. and uh, The Ice Storm Brooklyn is actually better than the regular Brooklyn. At least it had a neck. Yeah, but he was the wrong colors. And he yeah. had those icicle thingies. And I was so just wrong. Exactly and I'm just not into customizing figures other, mm. like other people are. Yeah. Which is... Uh, by the way, I'm not good at that either. I paid someone to do that for a long time. He's retired yeah, from... Yeah, he does fantastic work. Yeah. He's mostly retired from the game, though, which was fine. He was about to do a Brooklyn for me, and then they announced the NECA Goliath, and he said, he still want this for me? And I said, let's wait and see. Let's wait and see how this does. And then they solicited Brooklyn, and I remember I made the joke right away since we saw the pictures. Th- almost 30 years later, and finally a neck. <laughs> All right, all kids, we, need to, we need to be wrapping this up. So um, does anyone have any uh, anything they want to plug, anything you're working on, anything you'd like to bring some attention to people, Christine? Oh, boy. Uh, I have a lot of books out there. Those of you who can see me on video, that shelf behind me is uh, all anthologies I have stories in or novels I have written. My most recent is uh, Warlock Infernal, which is a sequel to Lake House Infernal, which is a sequel of sorts to Edward Lee's Infernal series, because he let me play with his toys. Um, And if, you know, if, if demons and hell on earth and sex and blood and nastiness is not your thing, um... Do I have anything else? <laughs> I, I, I have several. I have several books available uh, over a, a range of genres, from the Viking collections to 
steampunkish to uh, splatter western. So uh, lots, lots of, lots of books out there, and I'm so desperately broke with medical debt. Uh, buy them, please, 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 because I no longer have a job because I work here now. <laughs> and I don't get a lot of sleep, so I'm probably slightly psychotic. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, Christine Morgan, look me up on Amazon. And, oh, is this where I should say? And one of them is called Sperm Jackers from Hell. <laughs> I know, I know. That should say it all right there. So. <laughs> we will link to you in the show notes. <laughs> Eric, you. are you working on anything? Uh, I don't have anything personally, but I, I, I would request you know buy the comic book and also I'm kind of interested in supporting this podcast, but I don't know how. We have a Patreon, <laughs> Spidey Dude Network. It, we will link to it in the show notes. For the, for those of you who skipped Zach's spiel, which I understand is most of you, Zach's a great guy, but month after month, I get it. So we will link to that in the uh, show notes, and we will promote that more often. <laughs> Make Thank sure you, we post it on our Twitter and 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 in uh, important places uh, in on the internet. Okay. Patreon.com slash Spidey Dude Network. We're going to get Eric to do like a cool voiceover for us. (laughs) 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 And get in. Tell us what you're working on. Um, I actually would very much like to talk about this uh, show that is now uh airing uh the first half of the season is on byutv.org or uh the byutv app the show is called saving me and i was storyboard supervisor the assistant director on the show it's about this uh super genius uh very rich lives in a kind of dystopian future And he creates a time machine to go back and visit his 11-year-old self to try to teach him not to be a jerk in order to kind of save the world that he ruined. Problem is, he himself is a jerk and doesn't know how to not be a jerk. So (laughs) shenanigans ensue. It's um, There are 10 episodes right now on the uh, uh, BYUTV.org website and app. And uh, there are 10 more episodes coming. And I'm really proud of this show. It's a good story. The the voice acting is great. There's a show within a show with the Unicorn Commandos. And, um, yeah, go see it. I want to work on a second season. So please go see this show. Uh, And aside from that, if you want to see my doodles and drawings, I'm on Instagram, at Canthara Draws. Uh, my website is cantharadraws.com, and uh, that's pretty much it. As with everything, you know, keep binging Gargoyles, keep binging Young Justice, and start binging Saving Me. Will do. Nice. And, and Greg, this is coming out in January. Do you have any, anything you would like to plug? Uh, sure. So there's this comic book from Dynamite called Gargoyles. Um, by now, the if this is January... Uh, 
second issue uh, should be out or almost out. And uh, uh, please pre-order the third and fourth issue. Um, I am really excited about the story in the first three issues, but I'm even more excited about how uh, things really kick into gear with uh, the script issue four, which I finished last night. And um, uh, so I hope people are buying and pre-ordering, letting your comic book stores uh, or whatever your sources know that you want it. Um, issue one sold insanely well, but issues, you know, first issues always sell better than what follows, and we need to keep this book ongoing, so we need people to continue to support the book. And then while you're at it, at the comic book stores, uh, check out Young Justice Targets, which uh, the sixth issue came out in December of 2022. And so now all six issues are out and uh, I hope you'll check out that story as well. Definitely. And a trade for that comes and the trade for that Greg comes out in July on Amazon. That is good to know, but don't wait for July and the trade. Go get the issues. Then get the trade. (laughs) (laughs) All right. It has been amazing having you guys all here, and I'm so glad you took the time to hang out with us um, and help us reminisce a little bit. Yeah. Miss you. It was great. We, we, yeah, we really miss it was you. Great seeing you. Who knows? Hopefully, something happens for the 30th anniversary, which is coming up in 2024, which is creeping up on us. It's going to be here before we know it. So <laughs> I have an announcement coming. I can't announce yet, but I have an announcement coming for the 30th anniversary. All right. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, and now I have to go call my daughters because the twins are 33 years old today. And um, Oh, happy birthdays. Happy wow. birthday to them. And, and Stephanie. <laughs> Everyone oh talking gosh. about their kids. But before you do that, I just also want to thank our listeners for listening to us and listening to these very fine people who we've known for such a long time who I can say without each of these people in some way, this podcast also wouldn't exist. And I hope you join us next time. We're coming up. We're going to return soon with High Noon, but we might have something for you before then as well. And thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Voices from the Eerie, a Gargoyles podcast, powered by the Spidey Dude Radio Network, located at spidey-dude.com. If you like this show, then please listen to Spectacular Radio, based on the Spectacular Spider-Man animated series, which features some familiar voices. You can also find these great podcasts, Clone Saga Chronicles, Make Mine Mayday, Amazing Spider-Man Classics, The Sal Buscema Podcast, and Books of X. All of this and more on the Spidey Dude Radio Network. And please follow us on Twitter at From Eerie. That's From E-Y-R-I-E. And join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Network for more exclusive content. Thank you. My strength has never depended on brute force, Demona, but on true friends.